Hello, and welcome to another super snuggly episode of Chatting Tonight. I'm your effervescent host, Margo. Tonight's episode is a Rantorama Chatting Tonight exclusive. Because let's face it, we live in a fucking clown world. And I think we need to talk about it. Fine. Bitch about it. So that we can all come to the agreement that we're still quasi-saying. Tonight's episode also comes with a chatting tonight extra. Each listener gets a complimentary barf bag. Shall we do it to it? Let's go. I just want to quickly knock this out by acknowledging that I am not crazy. I'm not. In fact, I even took a quiz to prove it to you guys, which, of course, I will share with you so that you may find out if you are crazy. In addition, I'm going to share my results with you. As always, I will provide the link so you may actually take it yourself if you so desire. And you should. Desire. The test I took was provided by rdrlabs.com and they provide a plethora of tests if you are so interested in taking one. The test I took was called the Hot Crazy Scale Test. Now, the Hot Crazy Scale is a phenomenon popularized by the sitcom How I Met Your Mother, which I loathe, and is well known in internet pop culture. Some claim that the theory is pseudoscientific, while others, like myself, maintain that it's backed by proper studies. The theory holds that it is possible to decipher how you should regard a potential partner based on their levels of hot and crazy. Now, this test is 20 questions, which I, of course, answered honestly. And in a moment, I'll give you my results. But I did want to mention that I also took the... uh, psychopathy test and I scored a mere 2.11% more psychotic than the average Joe, which I of course took as a compliment as any psycho would do. Now on to the results. So on this scale, I did uh, rate a solid six on the crazy and a seven and a half on the hot access, which means I am 75% hot and 58.75% crazy, which places me in the fun zone. Now, people in the fun zone are cool, above average in attractiveness, and great to hang out with. Everyone should spend some time in the fun zone to find out what they like and dislike in a partner and to get the awkwardness out of their system so that they will eventually be ready for marriage or a serious relationship. While fun is a good thing, the fun zone also has its risks. Since the zone is wedged right between the no-go and crazy zones, it is possible to mistake crazies and no-goers as fun. And really, honestly, I think this holds true because honestly, I am a fucking way station. I am post-shitty relationship, try me, and then move on to the next. So thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Oh, so very fucking much. But as you can see from this test, I am not crazy. So on we go so we can discuss the fucking psycho world that we live in and maybe we all can together figure out how to navigate ourselves around it.
you hear me? Is this thing on? Okay, <laughs> just fucking around. In the words of the late, great Joan Rivers, can we talk? And if you aren't aware how the phrase came about, let's talk about it. Because this woman was ahead of her time, and frankly, she's sorely missed and sorely needed. Came about because I always try to be very honest. My, my humor is truly stripping everything bare. And very often you have to say to the audience, oh, come on, can we talk? I mean, let's stop this nonsense. Is Elizabeth Taylor fat or is she, can we talk here? So let's take a few moments and talk about language and how words have lost their meaning and fucking minds as definitions just, you know, change any old way the wind blows. Words like misgendering, which actually means correctly gendering. Now, you know this, and I know this, but I'm gonna let you in on a little fucking secret. They know it too. They, the people who like to scream about being misgendered. They know it too, which is why they go fucking psycho. So in a minute, I'm going to play a clip of a woman who prefaced her little rant with, it's a gentle rant, by the way, it's a gentle rant on kind misgendering. And she just had to go off, okay? And I want you to take a little listen to this active bullshit. Oil change, and the person came out of the garage and said, what can I do for you, young lady? And I know that this was intended to be a greeting of respect and kindness or politeness, maybe. But I had this immediate, like, okay, young, maybe comparatively, I'll take it. But I was like, lady, what do I do with that? Like, it's so complicated because I know this person only intended kindness. There was a smile on their face. Like, I know that they weren't trying to, like, patronize me or gender me. But I felt so gendered and so inappropriately gendered and I don't know what to do with that like what do you do with that when someone like has the best of intentions and I don't really want to spend all of my spoons trying to educate someone at the Costco car center what an insufferable plot she is imagine the fucking horror show that she is on a daily basis because she thought enough of herself okay she felt that what she was saying and thinking and who she is is so fucking important that she had to make an Instagram post about this, about this gentle rant, okay? That, trust me, I don't think was just shitted out and then immediately posted. I bet you that was like take fucking 15 that we listened to, okay? So what a fucking nightmare. Speaking of nightmare, let's talk about the word genocide. Literal genocide, okay? Literal, literal literal genocide perpetrated by literal actual Nazi fascists. And this literal genocide occurs whenever certain people hear things that they don't want to hear. Or they are asked to engage their critical thinking skills. Like their brains break and it is literal fucking genocide. In the 21st century, hurt fifis are literal genocide. And literal genocide also occurs when people just aren't okay with man that's three quarters of the way naked performing a dance in a fucking sex swing in front of babies. Okay, like literally millions of drag queens just die when they can't dance, squirm, or do splits in front of children. Like, literally, a genocide occurs when five-year-olds can't hand them money. So, know that, okay? You live with that. You bigot. And if you don't believe that babies who can't even speak know that they're trans, you're literally genociding babies, okay? But not in the way that abortion does, all right? It's different! Free! I mean, 
mean, my questions are like, um, why would a man want to perform that in front of like babies or children? Okay, like I don't even give a fuck how hard up for money you are. Why would you take that gig? Like I would not fucking take that gig. I don't understand, okay? And what exactly are the babies getting out of this, okay? What auditory or visual advantages is happening with their development, okay? Are their cerebral cortexes like growing larger? Are they are they able to discern far more colors on the spectrum than regular people who haven't been exposed to that? I, I'm assuming that there are studies uh, forthwith that will definitely, definitely have those claims because it seems completely plausible, you know? I mean, is that man spinning in that fucking sex swing like supposed to be like some big old mobile huh for the babies oh that's so cute look at them look at them and where are all the trans men clamoring to read books or perform a dance in front of a four-year-old you know where are all the trans men athletes you know demanding to box floyd mayweather or pissing a men's room or change in the men's locker room or be transferred to a men's prison because i posted a clip on my twitter page of a woman who's very familiar with the california penal system where she stated that there were exactly zero trans men waiting to be transferred into a men's prison and there were 287 trans women who were waiting to be transferred to a women's prison so where are the trans men voices okay are they silent or are they being silenced because all i hear are a bunch of fat men's mouths bitching and frankly i would love another perspective okay i would fucking welcome it i would love to fucking hear it where is it I don't know, because the only fucking trans men I fucking hear about are the idiots on TikTok talking about how their voices change, pointing out that they're fucking going bald, calling their fake wiener a ween, and talking about, like, pumping that shit up and deflating it. So, I don't know. Where are they? I'm not hearing that. Advocacy. Paging Elliot Page. On to a another very popular word transphobic and we we love to attach hate to that so it's transphobic hate i mean look how fucking narcissistic these people are look how fucking highly they think of themselves and the transphobic hate like no, nobody is afraid of trans people so just like stop, all right? It's just some facts and reality that you are actually afraid of because it's not fear of trans people when someone questions the very premise that a baby who can't even talk knows that they're trans. And it's not transphobic hate to think that maybe children shouldn't decide at eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years of age what they are for the rest of their lives. To question this new science is not hate, okay? And it's not hate to visualize what could be a very slippery slope because uh, there's that saying that like history repeats itself and so therefore thinking about that slippery slope is just a way of knowing that history could repeat itself. but. I digress. It's also not hate to not want to have to suspend your disbelief 24 hours a day, seven days a week, like we are in some constant fictional fucking Truman Show like series. Okay? It's just not. It's not hate to not want to have to live in the fucking clown world so let's go back to when i was talking about the genocide 
the genocide. The genocide. Did you hear, folks? It's a genocide. And talk about fascist. Because everyone who holds, well, what can be considered a conservative viewpoint, but really it's like any other viewpoint other than thirds, is like a literal fascist. And it's kind of brilliant in its simplicity because, you know, constantly degrading a group of people is a great way to get other people to hate them. But let's do remember that fascists typically avoid calling themselves fascists due to the negative history associated with the term. Hmm. Now, this word appeared around the 20s from the Italian fascista, and I probably just butchered that, so I'm a sort of sorry, and given real meaning to by Mussolini. Yes, Mussolini. Mussolini. Interestingly enough, he was a journalist, and Mussolini was adept at exploiting all forms of mass media, including movies and radio. He also created a mass membership party with, shocker, free programs that were enticing to various groups of people who he thought could be more readily mobilized and monitored. And Mussolini, like all dictators, made liberal use of the threat of extrajudicial violence, as well as actual violence. Think of uh, the black shirts or maybe some other idea. Now in practice, fascism typically revolves around a ruler who uses absolute power to suppress individual freedom of citizens, making everyone subject to the power of the state. And how do fascist leaders gain support? They promote a suspicion or hatred of people. So I'm not really getting how the people who advocate for less government intrusion on people are the fascists, but hey, go off with your badass gaslighting. And far right, okay? Far right goes right along with that progressive bullshit definition of fascist. Far right is again used to demean anyone that says something that a progressive doesn't like or agree with or it's like ouchy words and it just all becomes fucking meaningless it ju it just like proves to me how limited a person's thinking is because they really do act like there's only what like uh, democrats and republicans it's insulting okay it's fucking insulting how stupid people really are and since I mentioned Democrat, let's, let's talk a minute about that fucking phrase, threat to democracy, okay? Because I know what you're trying to say. And if you don't, I'm going to let Dan Smoot explain it to you right now. A constitutional republic, not a democracy. The ideal of a democracy is universal equality. The ideal of a constitutional republic is individual liberty. A democracy always degenerates into dictatorship, which promises government-guaranteed equality and security, but it delivers nothing but poverty and serfdom for the people it robs and rules. America was founded as a constitutional republic to safeguard the liberties of the people against the tyranny of democracy or of one-man dictatorship. In this century, great strides have been made toward the goal of subverting our republic into a democracy. The foremost tactic of the subverters is subversion of language. By calling America a democracy until people thoughtlessly accept and use the term, the totalitarians have obscured the real meaning of our principles of government. Let's move on to another oldie but moldy racist. Everything is fucking racist, isn't it? I mean, every motherfucking thing is fucking racist. Air, weather, cars, cities, farms, nature, horseback riding, mining, restaurants, stores, no restaurants or stores, clothes, airplanes, diets, closets, pantries, sports, not being in sports, hair, lack of hair, shoes, boots, Crocs, food, lack of food, diets, body positivity, bathing suits, Jewelry, stairs, elevators, boats, not owning boats, animals, pets, not owning pets, toilet paper, furniture, 
parking spots, cigarettes, not having cigarettes, household tasks, being on time, waiting, crosswalks, hospitals, not having a hospital close by, police, lack of police officers, ties, latex paint, spray paint, corn, the color red, not enough red, doctors, not enough doctors, you name it, it's fucking racist. And it's all because of white supremacy. So now I think might be a good time. I'm just going to read off some headlines and a couple tweets that I just found just fucking fascinating. So we have pantry porn is classist, racist, and sexist. Chicago professor slams social media trend of showing off perfectly organized pantries and blames the likes of Kardashian Jenner family for pushing modern day status symbol, which I don't really understand why anybody of any color, race, or creed couldn't have an organized pantry. I don't really get that, but okie dokie. White saviors are the worst. Minnesota lawmaker tells white Christians to stop adopting Native American babies because changing their names and identities is genocide. Now, this representative's name is Heather Keeler. And if I am not mistaken, I remember people pitching a fucking fit because during like Thanksgiving, people would make like the typical... Native American like feather headband and that was like really insulting and degrading to Native Americans except then I heard from several different Native Americans that they actually don't mind that at all because it acknowledges who they are instead of erasing them but whatever black diversity equity and inclusion director fired from woke California College was accused of disrespecting BLM founder and white splaining after asking for the definition of anti-racism and guess what they labeled her as a right wing extremist I know you are shocked here is the Pentagon's diversity chief I'm so exhausted at these white folks with an X in these PD sessions, which I'm assuming are the Pentagon diversity sessions, this lady actually had the caucasity to say that black people can be racist too. I had to stop the session and give Karen the business. We are not the majority. We don't have power from a person that works in the fucking Pentagon. Or you can go on to Twitter and you can see five black men dressed as women complaining about cultural appropriation. Or to name a few, Walmart gave a whopping 100 million in support of BLM and related causes focusing on racial equity. Amazon gave even more, supplying the movement with an astonishing $169.5 million. Silicon Valley Bank gave the movement $73.45 million. Now, I cannot wait to see this money being distributed properly. Can you? I'm just so excited. And actually, in a minute, I might play this clip from Candace Owens. That's pretty good. Here's one from Planned Parenthood of America. Are you Caucasian and would like to use your white privilege to do good? If you visit our website, you can add a note to your donation that you specifically request that your donation is used to help minority groups access abortion. Show that you care on this Giving Tuesday. And here's a delicious tweet. Before white people came to this land, there were no jails, no homelessness, no laws against homosexuality or abortion. For thousands of years, indigenous peoples emphasized health, housing, Freedom to love who you love and the fact that we need Mother Earth. She doesn't need us. And this got 1.4 million fucking views. Tell me this isn't a fucking clown world. Black Lives Matter released their 990 IRS filings. They collected $80 million. Where is that money? It's all here. Everything looks worse than it was. Where have you seen that money impacted throughout the city? So my producer just sent me a link. It is just shocking to me because of how much money was raised to think that where he lives, the bills weren't being covered. Super frustrating, but that's a dead end, so. And here's where it gets really interesting. Ready for some BLM pride? 
other 200k went to escorts, BDSM workers, strippers, peep show workers, phone sex operators, and webcam performers. And then at that moment, it became personal. And I thought, not only am I going to say the truth, <laughs> I am going to scream the truth louder than you can scream the lies. Just to round out the whole racist, racism, white supremacy discussion, and, you know, put a little feather in that cap, I thought I would play a little clip from Mark Robinson from North Carolina and his view on the topic of reparations being owed. And um, if you have a problem with his viewpoint, I recommend that you take it up with him and not me. There are some people that were talking about reparations in this country. They wanted reparations. And I remember I made this particular liberal so angry at me because I told them right to their face, nobody owes you anything for slavery. If you want to tell the truth about it, it is you who owes. It's you who owes. Why do you owe? Because somebody in those fields took stripes for you. Somebody after those fields were ended and slavery was ended. Somebody had to walk through Jim Crow for you. Somebody fought wars and died for you. Somebody lived less than because they didn't have what you have and they did it for you. There are people in their graves right now. And they are there because they were willing to stand up and fight for you. Those folks on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, carrying American flags, take that Colin Kaepernick, living in a society that he could scarcely acknowledge, something that he has never known, living with a bigotry that none of us can imagine, carried American flags on that bridge. And when they were hit upside the head with night sticks, and shot with water hoses and knocked to the ground, they got up and picked those flags up and kept marching. And they did it for you. Nobody owes you anything. If anybody owes, it's you. Because you've been the benefactor of freedom. You are the one that owes. And what do you owe? You owe it to them to get up off your tail and get to school. And when you get to school, you order them to get up off your tail at school and get to work and get some learning in your head. And once you get that schooling in your head and get out of that school, you order to them to get to work. And then when you get to work and you get married, you order to them to take care of your children and not let the government take care of your children. It's you who owe. Nobody owes you a single solitary thing. The sacrifice and blood that has been laid out in this nation on your behalf, there is a bill at your feet for it. It's time you got up off your tail and went and go pay it. Before we take a little break to hear from tonight's sponsors, I do want to loop back and play just a couple of clips that should make you go, hmm... And by the way, going, hmm, is not hate. And no matter how much you want to yell that it is, it is not hate. Having intuitive concern or questions is not hate. Blindly following shit makes you a fucking clown. Now, this first clip is from a South Carolina medical center. And just to let you know, in this scenario, Sam is like, I don't know, six or seven years old. So pay attention to what is not said or not asked at all. And the second is from a 10-year-old. And it just sounds, I don't know, it just sounds not natural. I think you'll be able to hear it. Trust me. Hello, how are you today? Hello, I'm here for my child's appointment. The name is S. Harris. Date of birth? 8-14-2012. Great, before we take you, we just need you to fill out these forms for us. You can sit down and bring them back to me when you're done. Thank you. 
So, Sam, I'd like to ask you a few more questions, if that's okay. Okay. All right. Can you tell me, do you feel like a boy, like a girl, like both or neither? And there's no right answer. He keeps telling me that he's a girl and that he doesn't like boy stuff. So let him go by the name of Sam, which I like because it could be for a boy or for a girl. I don't know. I, I think he just wants to be like his big sister. Dad, I told you, I'm a girl. I'm sorry, honey. This is hard to understand. Thank you for sharing that. I would like to ask Sam. So what do you say, Sam? I'm a girl. How long have you known you're a girl? I don't know, but a long time. So when we're talking about you, would you like for us to say he or she? She. Okay, thanks. In this scenario, the registration form provided an opportunity for the parent to share his child's name, pronouns, and gender identity. This helped inform the provider in asking follow-up questions with Sam and his parent during the clinical visit. The provider was able to update the EHR after talking to Sam to make sure that the information about Sam's pronouns and gender identity was correct. There you go. Hello, my name is Zip. I am 10 years old. I use they, them pronouns, and I am transgender non-binary. At what point do I go from being someone you protect to someone who is a threat? Not based on my heart or any of my actions, but just based on my genitalia and your ignorant ideas of what you think who I am means. I deserve to age without fear that the bathroom and change space that allows me to feel safe and at peace will be taken from me. I deserve to become an adult that has freedom to use a change room I need. I deserve to, I deserve this right now and for my future. I urge council to allow all transgender pe people access the bathrooms and change rooms they need. Because when trans adults are, th oh, tra trans adults thrive, trans kids survive. Thank you. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's get into some lighter subjects like how much I hate Instagram or overrated artists. Who knows? We'll be back in two and two. If this were the real COVID-19, I would be in real trouble because I'm an asshole and I have bad dreams. I have diabetes and I struggle with eating raccoon dogs at wet markets. For me, COVID is a whole different ballgame. In fact, you could be one of 200 million Americans for a high risk factor of stupidity that makes COVID theories even easier to believe, which is why you need to be ready and have a plan. Other risk factors include lemming disease or being an actor. Even being over 50 or a stoner can put you at serious risk. Could that be you? To find out, go to idrlabs.com and take an IQ test. Then make a plan. Because if you fall for COVID again and are an asshole like I am, the last thing you want to do is wait and see. Be ready. Have a plan. And ask your doctor about treatment options that may help your sorry ass. feel like I learned so much from my own commercials. You too. <laughs> Timely. Topical. Chatting tonight. So I just need to uh, rant for a couple minutes about Instagram, okay? I, I just need to get this off my chest. I need to work on my feelings with you guys because you are my support group. You are my sounding board. You are my shoulder to cry on. You are my everything. So I have this love-hate relationship with Instagram. Like, with people, obviously, but whatever. 
And there are just certain aspects that drive me fucking batshit crazy. You know, the constant repetition, for example. Like, why do these people use the same format or audio or whatever? Like, for example, if I never, ever hear this again, it will still be a day too soon. and I'm not having any fucking fun because I have seen a thousand fucking reels using the same audio, okay? Why does Instagram think that more people are going to pay attention if somebody uses the same thing over and over again? Like, I don't understand why they suggest everyone to do the same thing and why people actually do it. Like, is it... Uh, is it some kind of social conditioning? I, I really don't get it. I don't understand. I don't know why you would not want to be unique and not use the same fucking format over and over again. Like, I don't get the uh, getting ready with me fucking bullshit or the influencer reaction shit. Or, like, how is every everybody's a fucking expert on, like, uh, the zodiac signs and Everybody's a fucking expert on narcissism now. And everybody's a fucking dietitian and a nutritionist. And then you have the whole girl boss bullshit where you accidentally did it. Or the, here's a little PSA. Well, here's one from me to you. You're fucking boring and trite and overplayed. And I, and I just can't deal with it anymore. Okay? I can't do it. I can't do, like, the reaction videos where it's just, like, your face... And your mouth is like wide open, ah, and you're like rolling your eyes or like pointing to the fucking split screen. I, there's a zillion of those. Why do you think that yours is somehow more unique or funny than anybody else's and you deserve a fucking like or follow? I, I, I'm just not getting it, guys. I don't, I'm like, I'm literally pulling my face down right now because I cannot understand it, okay? It's maddening to me. I, I don't get it. And, and here's another thing. I think I've reached some kind of, like, saturation point where now I, I don't know what's parody and what's real. And I used to think I had, like, pretty good discernment on parody. You know, like, I follow some brilliant parody accounts on the Twitter, okay? And even some on Instagram. But, like... I don't know now. I don't know now. Okay. Like, for example, you ever seen the woman in the white kitchen and she normally wears like white or beige and she's always like cooking for her child? Well, the first one that I saw that like stuck with me and, and I've seen a couple after this, but th this one was she was making her kid um, homemade cinnamon toast crunch. Okay. And like, I'm like, whatever like make your own fucking cereal i really could care less but like what stuck with me was it why was she making this child like an individual serving of the cinnamon toast crunch like it's a dry good right like why wouldn't you make a whole batch of it you know and put it in like a nice glass canister and either put it on the counter or in the cupboards why are you making your child individual servings of fucking cereal i i don't under i don't understand it i don't understand how this kid is going to be like at a sleepover and they like pour him a bowl of lucky charms and he's like uh my mom makes homemade lucky charms what the fuck like i, I just i don't i don't know or like what about that Eastern European uh, woman, I think she is, who like violently makes things with fruits and vegetables, you know? She's like, coconut. It, is that real? Is that parody? I don't know, guys. Help me. Since we have all come to the conclusion that it is the world that is batshit crazy, and we are just a little bit off okay let's talk about why and how normal people go mad and then let's discuss maybe how being a little bit crazy might not be such a bad thing especially in today's society <laughs> it's the only way to cope 
So just about any ordinary person can slip into madness, or so believes APA President Philip G. Zimbardo. In fact, all it may take to trigger the process is a special kind of blow to one's self-image to push someone over the edge of sanity. My colleagues and I have demonstrated that situational forces can generate surprisingly powerful contributions to make good people behave in bad ways. He said to a standing room only crowd in his presentation, why and how normal people go mad at APA's 2002 annual convention in Chicago. The basis for his ideas is his discontinuity theory, which posits that when people perceive a violation in some domain of functioning vital to their sense of self-esteem, they will search for ways to explain or rationalize the experience. An A student who suddenly gets poor grades, for example, may develop sexual or eating problems or exhibit violent fantasies, symptoms that could warrant a clinical diagnosis of psychopathology, but according to Zimbardo's theory, many people who exhibit symptoms of madness are reasoning with insufficient data or rigidly defending the wrong theory. As Zimbardo pointed out to attendees, Voltaire said, what is madness? To have erroneous perceptions and to reason correctly from them. False cues. Sometimes, Zimbardo said, the source of a person's discontinuity can be physical but mistakenly attributed to a psychological disorder. Think of this, he said, you are going deaf but aren't really aware of it. You walk into a room full of friends and you see their mouths moving, but you don't hear them. You ask, why are you whispering? And they say, we're not whispering. You say, why are you lying? And then you end up in a confrontation and people think, gee, this guy is really crazy. That process can produce paranoid delusions, he said. But many people deemed crazy might not be crazy after all, he said. A 1989 study of 500 patients in several California state mental hospitals showed a large percentage had physical diseases that could cause or exacerbate a mental disorder, yet they were not detected by professionals. Could some of these patients' psychological disturbances have been explained by a medical problem and thus cured, Zimbardo asked, and why is the real root of what seems to be pathological behavior undetected or ignored? So too, prevailing societal biases may mask the root cause of mad behavior. Take, for example, the witches in Salem, Massachusetts, who shared a diet based on rye grain, which in wet, cold climates like that of 1692, grew a fungus that produced a natural hallucinogen like LSD. These girls probably weren't mad, just suffering from a microbiological food poisoning. Society offered witchcraft as a readily available explanation for these discontinuities, Zimbardo pointed out recent research. Zimbardo and his colleagues at Stanford University tested his theory on normal, healthy, hypnotized college students. In their study, the researchers generated a discontinuity. They induced sudden increases in heart rate and respiration that created unexplained arousal characterized by feelings such as anxiety, anger, nervousness, or restlessness in these student volunteers. The volunteers were then guided to incorrectly attribute the cause of their problem through potential cognitive, environmental, or social explanations for the discontinuity, as suggested by the researchers. In effect, they duped the students into believing the wrong reasons for their discontinuity. Zimbardo predicted that when the volunteers were unable to come up with acceptable explanations or social comparisons for their arousal, their inability to deal with it would eventually lead to predictable symptoms of psychopathology. He was right. When volunteers incorrectly blame situational or environmental factors for their arousal, they began to exhibit phobic behaviors. When students were led to wrongly believe that the source of their anxiety was physical, they began to show signs of hypochondria or somatoform disorders and attributing such discontinuities to social 
causes created paranoid symptoms. Similarly, in earlier research he and colleagues have done, Zimbardo noted hypnotically induced unexplained deafness in volunteers generated experimental paranoia. Like the volunteers themselves, therapists involved as raiders in the experiments who were asked to determine the cause of the, for the volunteers' symptoms mistakenly attributed the behaviors to varying clinical conditions. The seeds of madness, said Zimbardo, can be planted in anyone's backyard, but mad behavior may not necessarily be the product of some pre-morbid personality disorder, he noted. Psychologists would do well to consider physical, situational, and societal influences and the timing of these influences in their work with patients. Madness is the sufferer's unintentional disruption of society's norms of reasonable and normal actions. This article is from 2002. 2002, people. 2000 fucking two. Did I mention that was from 2002? <laughs> okay. God. So the next thing I want to share with you guys is from Mark Manson, who is the author of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And it's titled The Surprising Benefits of Being Slightly Crazy. Links included to all these articles. But of course. And is this or could this be my rationalization for scoring 58.75% on the crazy scale? Maybe. Maybe. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Don't knock rationalization. Where would we be without it? I don't know anyone who would get through the day without two or three juicy rationalizations. They're more important than sex. Ah, oh, come on. Nothing's more important than sex. Oh, yeah? Have you ever gone a week without a rationalization? Despite being the greatest and most influential mind in human history, Isaac Newton, by all accounts, was a bit of a head case, as well as a total dick. Newton was famously petty and vindictive. He would go through manic episodes where he would work furiously for days at a time without eating or sleeping. Afterward, he would fall into deep depressions, refuse to see or speak to anyone, and often contemplated suicide. During these darkest episodes, Newton would often have hallucinations and speak to imaginary people, kind of like a four-year-old. Newton wasn't the only troubled scientific genius, of course. Nikola Tesla churned out over 200 inventions in his lifetime, including the first prototype of an electric motor, the first remote control, and helped to invent X-ray pho photography. He invented a more efficient form of electricity than Edison, which prompted Edison to go full asshole and attempt to destroy Tesla's career. What's lesser known is that Tesla had an intense phobia of dirt and germs and a curious obsession with doing everything in multiples of three. He would compulsively calculate everything in his immediate environment, like how many cubic centimeters of food he was about to eat or how many meters he was going to walk to the toilet. He spent years living in hotels without ever paying his bills. He, like Newton, also reported blinding visions and hallucinations in some of his most intensely creative periods. Why does it seem that a disproportionate number of the artistic and scientific geniuses in the world are a bit looney tunes? Many of the greatest literary figures of the past 300 years either drank themselves to death or put a bullet in their mouth. The heroin overdose musician is almost a cliche at this point. It's so common. Hell, you're not even considered a real rock star unless you OD at some point. The Roman philosopher Seneca once said, There is no great genius without a tincture of madness. We've all intuitively understood that people who are geniuses are often a little bit crazy. We accept it, even if we don't know exactly why it's so. Yet, authors are actually more likely to be depressed than the general population. Similarly, scientists are more likely to be schizophrenic, and visual artists are more likely to be bipolar. While mental illness may push some people to the extremes of creativity or discovery, for the majority of people, it sucks. 
Compared to normal people, as if normal even exists, people with mental illnesses have more chronic physical health problems, have difficulty forming and maintaining relationships, earn less money, and live shorter lives. And for every quirky genius like Newton, who, in between reinventing mathematics and formulating the fundamental laws of physics, probably had varied and interesting conversations with his mother's sofa, you get people with mental health issues that do extraordinarily awful things as well. Think the Unabomber, or crazed cult leaders, or school shooters... Mental health is a tricky subject, though, and my guess is I've already offended about 8,000 people with just these opening paragraphs. But the truth is, a lot of what we consider to be healthy and unhealthy, normal and abnormal, depends on the culture and time we live in. In fact, among psychiatrists, notions of health and disease change from generation to generation. They argue all the time over the definition of diseases like ADHD, schizophrenia, and bipolar disorder. Centuries ago, when depression was known as moncalia, it was believed to be caused by an imbalance of bodily fluids called humors. Homosexuality was once considered a formal mental disorder all the way up till 1986. Even in the Seneca quote I mentioned above, the Latin word for madness was used very differently from what has been translated to today. For ancient Romans, it meant something more like an inspiration or illumination, so it was something to aspire to. One of the reasons mental disorders are often difficult to define is that many of their characteristics, in one sense, extreme versions of normal traits seen in all of us. For instance, we can all be a little obsessive from time to time and do stupid stuff we normally wouldn't do. Maybe your kitchen utensils have to be arranged just so or else you start freaking out thinking the whole house is about to explode. You don't have OCD, as many people joke, but you do have a particular fixation on some things being in order so that you feel comfortable and secure. I think that most people have something like that in their lives. It's just a question of to what degree. Being anxious can be a good thing. It means we should probably pay attention to whatever it is we're anxious about and take some sort of action. But most of us have areas in our lives where we ruminate and worry too much. I had a friend in college who used to vomit before every class presentation she had to give. For years, I struggled with a crippling social anxiety in particular social settings. These things are surprisingly normal. Or, have you ever sworn that someone said your name only to look up and no one else is even in the same room? Or thought you saw something move out of the corner of your eye, but then you turn to look and nothing is there? Yeah, we all have. Humans have an incredible ability to imagine things that aren't real. It's such a staple of the human brain that we sometimes do it without realizing we're doing it. But for the vast majority of us, it's easy to figure out when our minds went on our own little picnic and we can quickly rejoin reality. People with certain types of schizophrenia, on the other hand, have trouble distinguishing the real world from their imagination. People with general anxiety disorders are so overcome by their anxiety that they cannot lead a functional life. People with extreme OCD similarly live in a constant state of not feeling in control of their own minds or actions. So the point is, we're all a little bit crazy in our own ways. There's just a spectrum of human behavior and those with mental illness, quotes intended because this shit is all subjective and is always changing, often lie on the extremes of certain human behaviors. Our psychological faculties are like athletic ability or height. Most of us cluster around a stable average height, but then there are people at the extremes. Some are dwarfs and some are giants. And just as the dwarfs and the giants experience the world much differently than the majority in the middle, the people at the extremes who see the world differently from the majority in the middle also have a very different experience. And those extremes, while usually negative, are the same extremes that result in bursts of creativity and genius. And it's not the question of getting rid of them, but rather how we manage them.
Kurt Cobain was often described by close friends and family as a person who was absolutely terrified of being humiliated. He may have conveyed this apathetic rock star personality, keeping up appearances that he didn't give a fuck, but actually he gave a huge fuck about what everyone thought to the point of having severe anxiety and depressive episodes. But these same people will tell you that he was a machine during rehearsals and in the studio. Cobain was obsessed with honing his craft as an artist. Nirvana had rehearsal sessions that lasted upwards of 15 hours before recording Nevermind. This led him to become rock's biggest pioneer since the Beatles. It also eventually led him to eat the end of a shotgun barrel. Temple Grandin revolutionized the cattle industry in North America and is credited today with providing one of the greatest leaps forward in the humane yet practical treatment of livestock. If you eat meat, there's probably a good chance that Temple Grandin had something to do with how that meat arrived on your plate at some point. She also happens to be autistic. Her autism makes her think in pictures, and ultimately that's her gift. Or at least that's what everyone thinks is her gift. People assume that even though she was disabled, she overcame her disability and turned it into some great advantage. They believe Grandin's gift was to disregard other people's objections when they got in the way of her principles. But, and this is important, it wasn't that she didn't care about what other people thought. It's that she didn't know how to care about what other people thought. Her handicap was also her greatest asset. Grandin didn't overcome her disability. She drags it with her, like a mule pulling a plow through a field, each lumbering step tearing up what's behind her in order to build what only she can see in front of her, and she has no choice but to do it this way. If we consider that the nature of being extreme translates into both big risks and big rewards, then perhaps mental illness is one of nature's way of making a risky bet it's like Mother Nature waltzes into the casino every now and then and bellies up to the roulette table to lay all of her money down on double zero. If she hits it, the payout is big, with someone like an Isaac Newton, who ironically never married or had kids, but increased the reproductive fitness of humanity for centuries after he lived. But if she comes up with nothing, then she ends up broke and looking to sneak into the all-you-can-eat buffet without being noticed. But there is another evolutionary angle to this. Some tendencies of mental illness in certain situations could have been beneficial in the roving tribes of our ancestors. A psychopath obviously poses a big risk, particularly to those who get close to him, but his psychopathic qualities might make him a shrewd leader, even if he's a ruthless one. If it just so happens that a tribe needs a shrewd, ruthless leader to guide them through an unpredictable and unstable environment, the psychopath might have been their best option. A schizotypal member of the tribe might have been delusional, but he could also be a source of a few harebrained ideas that ended up paying off in a big way for everyone. Maybe he hallucinates a burning bush, telling him to round people up and mass-migrate them to more fertile land. Maybe he hallucinates Ten Commandments and carves them into stone and declares him and his friends God's chosen people. Maybe this ends up being the beginning of all Abrahamic religions and most of Western civilization. Paradoxically, the same things that should cause these disorders to fall out of the gene pool are the ones that keep them in it. Their biggest handicap is also their biggest advantage. And the same extremes that hinder individuals could be what provides the tincture of madness for their genius and creativity. And in many ways, we all benefit from it. Modern society is no different. We need stable, boring people to create these stable and boring industries we depend on every day, like the water and electric companies and the grocery stores. And we need a lot of these people. They create the backbone of civilization. But like our tribal ancestors, modern society needs wild cards and weirdos too. Humanity needs some source of innovation in order to take a gamble just as much as we need the stability that runs our everyday lives. 
Maybe the hypersensitive anxiety that gives panic attacks to the girl at your office is the same hypersensitive anxiety that will inspire her to write a brilliant poem or novel. Maybe the psychopathic asshole CEO of your company is good at making business decisions precisely because he's a psychopathic asshole. He only sees the numbers, not people. And strangely, you all benefit financially from his lack of empathy. Maybe that autistic kid in your calc class will go on to produce major advances in quantum physics and win a Nobel Prize someday. So stop stealing his lunch money, asshole. The inherent risk of living at the edges of the human endeavor is what drives new ideas and ultimately progress. We need people who are not only creative enough to see the world in new ways, but also delusional and crazy enough to believe that their ideas are neither delusional nor crazy. As the famous Apple ad used to say, because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. I wrote years ago that my biggest lesson from traveling the world for over five years was that the best thing about a country is also the worst thing. Well, I think that's probably true with people too. I've learned over the years that my brain's tendency towards quick boredom and constant need for novel stimulation is likely what drives my creativity as a writer. My wife's obsessiveness about detail and her scary degree of cleanliness is also the thing that makes her such a talented designer and artist. She sees the tiny errata that make all the difference. My friend's almost psychopathic willingness to question everything people do and believe is what makes him such a good psychologist. Another friend's quirkiness and social awkwardness is what makes him willing to take on huge entrepreneurial risks that have sometimes paid off big. The examples could go on forever, but the point here is that a certain degree of insanity seems to be beneficial sometimes. It's just a matter of directing that insanity in the right direction. And since we're all a little bit insane, then our awareness of our own eccentricities and tendencies has very real consequences for our own lives. Learn your brain. Learn its quirks. How is it different from others? How is it the same? Mental health, in the vast majority of cases, is therefore not a question of curing or fixing people, but recognizing where the strengths of an extreme brain may lie, while simultaneously learning to cope with its weaknesses. Many people have some degree of shame around the way their brain works. They're too sensitive, they are told, or too brooding or and introspective, or they spend way too much time screwing around with fantasy novels and drawing pictures, or they're too fastidious and obsessive about their appearance, or too hyper and manic, or whatever. My response is this, own it. Like any other part of your body, your mind comes prepackaged with its own advantages and disadvantages. Learn them and use them well. And the way to do that is not through blind conformity or through hiding your idiosyncrasies. It's through accepting and then expressing them. I don't know, maybe I'm beyond help. You know, maybe we all are. Maybe the world is so fucking crazy that we should just pack it in and get in the fucking clown car with the rest of these fucking idiots. But you know what? I I can't do it. You know, I I can't fucking do it. And I don't think that you should either, you know, keep, keep a steady course, you know, know that you're not fucking nuts, you know, At, at least not in a bad way. Maybe you're fucking nuts in the good way that, uh, we can survive this uh, age of de-enlightenment, so to speak, I think. I think we can do it. And just to, I don't know, prove that I'm not a complete bitch. In fact, I'm quite the incomplete bitch as far as bitches go. And I really should try and round myself out. But I'm going to share with you guys one, just one of the most embarrassing songs that I secretly love. And I just know that you're not going to respect me after this, and that's okay. Because I obviously don't even respect myself enough if I'm going to divulge this shit to you all. Okay. Oh, God, I don't want to. Okay. I don't want to. Mm, Okay. All right. Okay, 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 okay. Here it goes, guys. Just, okay. Okay. 
That was some hardcore bravery right there, guys, okay? Like, I'm still flushed. I'm still flushed from that, okay? I feel like I really, like, just laid myself out on the slab for you. I just really put it all out there. And if anything, if anything comes out of this episode, I just hope that you feel better about yourself. (laughs) How could you not? Um, Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to the next chatting tonight, where we talk about, I don't know, God knows what. Will we figure anything out? Probably not. But there will be singing, and there will be dancing tonight. I'd like to take this opportunity to introduce you to my very special guest. Please welcome Nora. Nora decided to drop by the studio tonight and lay all over the notebook and play with my pen. Thank you so much for coming by. You are always a delight.